Our scripture this morning comes from a couple places, and I'll be reading first from 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. And this is the Apostle Paul who is writing and referencing what happened on the mountain of transfiguration that we'll hear about in just a few moments. But here's what Paul writes about when it comes to our gospel. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And this glory of Christ was revealed to Peter and James and John in a very special way on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had yet to see his full glory revealed. It's kind of like that TV show, Undercover Boss, where the CEO of a major corporation goes to work incognito in his or her own company to see what it's like to work alongside the employees in the trenches. The employees are themselves and unfiltered in their relationship to the CEO because they think that this person is just a regular guy or a regular woman. At the end of the show, the CEO reveals his or herself as the CEO, and everyone is amazed when they see them in their glory of their actual role. Reactions range from, wow, I had no idea that person I thought was just like me is actually so important and prominent, to, oh no, that person I thought was one of us is actually my boss. Peter, James, and John knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and they knew him in a special way, but also in a way that we can only imagine, because they experienced him as an everyday regular guy. They heard Jesus burp. They saw his emotions. They heard him snore at night when they slept outside around the campfire. They saw him in the morning before he had his coffee. These guys lived and worked with Jesus all the time. They saw him as one of them in some ways. But when they went up on that mountain of transfiguration, something happened and they saw Jesus in all his glory, radiant and dazzling, accompanied by the two heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah. And Jesus was revealed truly there. Now, not everyone can see this glory of Christ because they've been blinded by the God of this age. In order to see the glory of Christ, we must shake off this blindness. We must follow Jesus up the mountain. And if you do, if you follow Jesus, eventually you will see Him in His glory. And when you do, His light will shine through you as you reflect his glory in this dark world. Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, 
it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We're beginning a new series today uh, called From Cup to the Cross, and uh, we're, we're going to get to that part, but really what we start with, we start on a mountain, and we're going to a mountain. We start on the Mount of Transfiguration, we end at the Mount of Calvary uh, in uh, Holy Week. Um, as I come to preach the message, I want to ask you a question. Have you prayed for yourself this morning? That in coming to worship this morning, God might penetrate your heart and move you in a specific way. And I add to that question, will you now pray for the preacher and pray for your heart to be open? Let's pray together. Lord God, on this Sunday morning, we came. We came from our place, a place you know well, a place we know. And we came to this place, another place you know well, and a place we love. And now we have put our place, Lord, in the right position to hear you through word and testimony. And now through the preaching of your everlasting gospel, Lord, so let our ears be wide open, let our hearts be fertile, let our minds be rich with anticipation that today we might come closer to trusting you fully and completely than we trusted you yesterday. Lord, this is about you. Let the power of your Holy Spirit flow through these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. The scriptures that, that we read, in, in, that Ron read during the, 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 the anthem today and that Keith read, really come down to a question that many of us have heard asked many times. Our staff went to Leewood, Kansas a few years ago and we heard one of the most masterful sermons, well, the most masterful sermon I've ever heard. It was entitled, Who is this man? Which is a question we all need to resolve about Jesus the Christ in all of our lives. And, and I remember, as, and, and I'm not John Ortberg, so I won't try that, but there are these questions. Who is this man who's born of a peasant woman in an obscure village in the Middle East? Who is this man who is an itinerant preacher who put in less than three years work? Who is this man who never hold, held an office, never attended a university, never had a family, never traveled more than 200 miles from his home? Who is this man? Who is this man to you? His life was lived in solitary obscurity and it died and ended in disgrace. Who is this man? There's not a single description of his physical appearance and yet more art in the world has been dedicated to depicting him than any other human person. Who is this man who never wrote a book, yet more words are written about him than any other person in all of history? Who is this man who never sat down at a keyboard to play a note, but more music is played for him and about him than any other person ever? Who is this man, the most influential person 
in human history, the man upon which our calendars are all based, upon which we tell all time, who is this man? Who is this man? You heard it this morning. You heard this man being proclaimed as God's one and only beloved son. Who is this man? He is God's one and only beloved son. You see, God reveals himself in Jesus Christ. God reveals himself in Jesus Christ. Keith gave this little story, which I thought was great. This, this idea of the undercover boss show. I've seen it a few times. Not my favorite, but I understand it. You know, people at McDonald's, they think they're talking to some schluck like them that's making a fry cook, and all of a sudden they realize, hey, you're Ray Kroc's grandson. Oh my gosh, who is this man? You know, and, and what Keith said in there is about the employee finding out who it was, he says, well, well we, we knew, but we really didn't know. And look what the disciples do. You know, the disciples have similar experiences to that. They say, well, you know, we were in the boat, when the waves were kicking back and forth, when the wind was blowing real hard, when we went to Jesus and said, don't you care if we die? So, so we kind of knew he could do something, but we didn't know that he could get up there and say, peace be still, and everything calmed down. I mean, we kind of knew, but we really didn't know, you know what I'm saying. And we were out there in the boat, you know, rowing across the Sea of Galilee that one day. It was dark, it was hazy. We saw what we thought was a ghost walking at the water on us. And we said, who if thou be? That's my King James Hebrew. Who if thou be on the water? And he says, fear not, it is I. Here comes Jesus walking on the water to the boat. I mean, we knew, but we didn't know. And now this, imagine this. Peter, James, and John go up the hill and they see what is described. His, his clothes become whiter than any white that's ever been seen. His face glows like the sun. There's voices being heard. And Peter, James, and John had to come down the mountain. And they couldn't see any, say anything. They could only talk to each other, see, because Jesus said, don't talk to anybody. And they had to be saying to each other, well, we, we always knew, but we didn't know. And now we know. You see, outside of Jesus' baptism, this, this is the only time in the life of Jesus that, that's marked by a divine intervention with, that's visible and audible. You see this, this change, and you hear a voice. Now, don't you all have a friend that you kind of joke about and say, I really like Bill, but I think he hears voices? Do you have that friend? I think he hears voices that aren't really... That's not what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. It, it, they're not talking about somebody that's, that's hearing something that's not there. The disciples hear one voice. They hear one voice, and it's unmistakably God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's, it's unmistakable. Now, many voices tell us how to live, and many voices even today tell us how to live closer to God and, and get closer to Him. And a lot of them are helpful. I understand that. I, we teach some of them. We, we share some of those at our classes. A lot of them are very, very helpful, but none equal this. None equal this one voice, this non-negotiable and impossible to misinterpret voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because, see, the transfiguration of Jesus is an outward change 
that comes from within him. Understand this about God. See, God didn't throw some magic potion down or some dust or some on Jesus that night on the Mount of Transfiguration. What happens is the God that Jesus is comes out where everyone can see him. It's not bestowed upon him. This is the second person of the Trinity. So what Jesus does is allow the three disciples to see who he truly is just for that brief moment in time. Just that brief moment of time, God comes out. His, his, his eternity comes out. His, his deity emerges. See, Moses and Elijah being present are really, really important. Because if you're not really familiar with the depth and richness of Scripture, Moses and Elijah are images. Moses, to all the Jewish people, would be the image of all the Old Testament laws. And, and the laws were what God gave people so that they might live a beautiful, wonderful life. They weren't like, don't do this. There are some don't do's, but just like you would say, don't grab the stove to a child. That the laws were given to Israel so that they might live in a way that's confluent with God. That they might live the way God would have them live so that their lives might be better, not worse. They might be free, not in prison. And so Moses represents all of that. And Elijah, and by the way, he'd been dead several thousand years. That's important to the story. (laughs) Something the disciples would have picked up on right away. And then there's Elijah, who, who according to scriptures didn't die, but was taken straight up into heaven by the whirlwind. But Elijah also is a character. He represents All the prophetic words of what we call the Old Testament, that when people didn't follow the laws, all the prophets came back, came to Israel and said, follow God, follow God, turn back, turn from your sin. So, so when Jesus meets with Elijah and Moses, and incidentally understand that it appears they knew each other previously, right? That, that, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had been in relationship with God, with, Elo, with, with Elijah and Moses prior to the moment of the transfiguration. So when we see them at the same place at the same time, the message to us should be, and the message to those three disciples would have been, Jesus surpasses everything. If Jesus is greater than Moses, if Jesus is greater than Elijah, Jesus surpasses all people, all prophets, and fulfills all the law. You see, the message on the Mount of the Transfiguration is that, is that this is a tran- Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and here it is. Don't miss it. This is basic Christian stuff. Jesus is Lord. Now, I know it's a sleepy February morning, but I'm going to have you repeat that to me, Okay. Three, three words, ready? Jesus is, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, if I was a really great preacher, I would dismiss you now because you got the message. But I'm only good. Thank you for your confidence. But that's what Christians must recognize here. Christians must recognize that Jesus is Lord. And, and we don't always do that. We, we know intellectually Jesus is Lord, but do we live it? I was talking to a friend out in the public. Not, 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 it was not about church stuff, but what she was saying was she was talking to me about her job. She works for one of the major companies here. And she was saying, I can't figure it out, Mike. She says, I, I do this at work and it doesn't seem like the Lord is blessing me. 
And I, and I do this at home, and it doesn't feel like the Lord, I work and work and work, and it doesn't feel like this. And I do this in my, my sports, and, and I said, Misty, hold on. You're telling me that Jesus is Lord, but everything you're teaching me and everything you're sharing with me about your life is that, that Misty is Lord. And by extension, I would say, from time to time, insert your name here, is Lord. Okay? Because if Jesus is Lord, you cannot be. If Jesus is Lord, you are not. Well, in your life, not the one you want, the one you really live, in in your life, is Jesus Lord? That's really all I came by to talk to you about today. Because if he is, you will be a servant and he is the master, not vice versa. Is the Lord that's revealed on the Transfiguration Mount the Lord of your life? That's your first question. Now, what's interesting to me about the Lord is God's revelation always includes mystery. I mean, it's one of the mysterious things about this story is that Peter, James, and John see it firsthand, and Jesus says this to him: You just saw who I was. You just know exactly who I am. Shh. Don't tell anybody till the time's right. Shh. Don't tell. What, what is this mystery about? Well, it's about helping us, to be honest with you. You know, we love mystery, don't we, in our lives? Some of you, like, read mystery books. Some of you spend a lot of time at the theater seeing mystery. I, I have some friends, and I, I know that my, my nephew went to one of these things called an escape room. You ever heard of these escape rooms? It's not some macabre thing. It's kind of a game. I, now, I, I've not been to one, so this is what it says on the Internet and what my nephew told me. You go into this room, and it has a theme. So maybe the themes are Mighty Ducks. I don't know. But the, the theme is you're trapped in this room and you have to work together as a team. A lot of companies are spending this, you know, team builders and stuff like that. And you have to find all these clues and they're not apparent, they're not intuitive. You have to find all these clues and when you find this clue, you get out of the room and into another room. And it depends on how much you paid, of course, to how many rooms you're going through. But, but there's this mystery and, and according to some very smart people I know that are lawyers and all that kind of stuff, it's really hard. And they pay a lot of money because at some deep level there is in this thing, this idea of us that that we like a mystery. So when God reveals himself to us, there's still some mystery here. See, this week, remember Valentine's? I hope you all remembered Valentine's Day that needed to. Sorry for a few of you. I was talking to one of my friends and I, on Valentine's Day, I said, how's everything going? He says to me this wonderful sentence. He says, oh, in my marriage, every day is something new. Every day, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And we love that about relationships, don't we? You know, sometimes people will say to me, oh, we're so close together, we finish each other's sentences. But at some point, I want to say, yeah, but is she always right? Is that really what you were going to say? 
No, not all. No. But, but we love mystery and we love relationships. And, and so it's not surprising that, that, that if we love mystery and we love relationships, that God's revelation in our relationship leaves some mystery. If we love mystery and we love revelation and we love, and we love relationships, why is it as people that we fear mystery in our relationship with God when that's part of it? It's kind of an essential part of it. More than a thousand years ago, the Catholics wrote a doctrine called Divinium Mysterium, which means the divine has mystery to it. There, there is mystery in the divine. There is this need for each one of us to be on a faith quest, not simply an asked and answered kind of journey. Not all the answers will be given for us so that we will have to quest after them. I mean, this is part of the way of God. It's the part of good parenting and, and, and leadership. And just like us, the disciples are left with many questions. The disciples are left with more questions than, than, than they are answers. But, but the questions are where we grow. I, I had a fellow come to me once uh, to interview me. And uh, he lo- worked for one of the regional newspapers. And the purpose of his interview was to disprove God. I kind of smiled when he called me. I said, dude, you came to the wrong cat. You want to disprove God? So I said, so I'll, I'll sit down with you. I said, but, but what we're going to do is I'm going to share with you a few things. And I shared with him some stories that are in the scriptures. And I shared with him some of the traditions of Christianity. And I ended with this story. I said, now you tell me why, if this isn't true, that we have this mystery at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And when the disciples are coming down with every answer, the Lord himself says, don't tell anybody. And his name was Greg. And he says, wow. You just left me with a lot more questions than answers. And I said, good, good. Now you can grow. Because when you've already decided what God is, there's no way you can grow into him. If you've already decided how a relationship is going to go, how is it that it can expand and become more wonderful and beautiful than you would ever have imagined? See, we sometimes in the church think that questions are bad, but they're good, not bad. Questions in our pursuit of God are, are good, not bad. I mean, as a child, weren't you always asking your parents questions about what they were doing? I've never stopped asking my parents. I still ask my mother today, why are you standing on a stool? You're 85 years old. Get off the stool. No, well. Mom's not here yet, is she? All right. <laughs> Cut that off the internet. No, I... But, but we, we never stop asking questions of people that we're in relationship with. And so we can't think that, that sometimes, I, I guess maybe we put weight on faith and we think, well, if I ask questions of faith, then I'm faithless. If you ask questions of faith, you're trying to grow in your faith. You see, I believe when I'm a teacher here, when I'm preaching, when, I, that, that, when, when I've taught in the, in the schools, that learning is always at the end of our questions. Growth is always at the end of our discovery. It's always at the end of the quest that we're on. And the quest that we're on says, that says, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? And what does the answer of who he is mean? And what does it require of me? See, because that's where we eventually get with my friend, the, 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 the newspaper reporter too. I so said, you get to a certain point and faith requires a leap. Faith just requires a leap. You know, 
You can make a lot of points on this, but, but you know, there's Jason sitting there in the front row. I don't have to believe in Jason. I can see him. If I really want to creep him out, I can touch him. I can feel him, right? I don't have to believe in him. He's, he's there, tangible, in three dimensions. Jesus? Is he trapped on the cross? Is he in that window? We believe that Jesus is in, around, and, and amongst us. That kind of belief takes a leap of faith. It, it takes a lot of questioning. It takes a lot of in, inflection on the divine mystery to, to jump and say, I believe that Jesus Christ, this man, is Lord of all the world. But to believe as Jesus Christ is Lord, to have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, requires a leap. And I encourage you not to be afraid to jump. Not everything comes simple to us. We'd like faith to come simple to us. You know, we'd like faith to be kind of like um, algebra, but I want to unpack that for you. Now, in, in freshman year algebra at Marion High, I didn't do very well. Matter of fact, I took it in college just to find out that I wasn't a numbskull. But I, and I honestly will say I had, I had algebra's seventh period of the day, which was right before football. So I was kind of concentrating on football. And then Mrs. Rowan positioned Diane Dollinger and Carol Anderson in front of me. So I was lost. Let's be honest about it. All right. Freshman, you know, I was lost. But, but the back of the book had the answers in it. So I'd always get the answers right. That show me your work part? Man, I got killed on that. <laughs> What's X minus 7? 58. How do you know? On page 400. That's <laughs> you know, and we want that with faith. We want to go from where we are to the answer. But that's not what we're at. We're on a quest to know who this man is. We're on a quest to see, will I trust him in the midst of my life. There's no easy button. So there's gaps in our faith life where we want certainty, but they don't have to stay as gaps. And we acknowledge that there's always issues that are going to be hard for us to resolve. Do you get that about faith? I mean, that's what faith is, is believing in things that are unseen. That's why, that's why Jesus says to one of his disciples, Thomas, blessed are those who do not see, but yet believe. See, Christians follow and trust the Lord even without the answer to every question. Even without the answer to every question. We'd love the answers to every question. But this is why. I think there's two key words in the passage that Ron read a few moments ago. Key words that I want us to focus in on before we go. The first one is this. God is doing a pointing. He says, this is my beloved son. This Jesus that you see in front of you, Peter, James, and John, this is my, divine, my beloved son. This is the divine presence in your midst. If you have any worries that God is real, there, he, there I am in your midst, in the person Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, the one who walked on water, the one who stilled the storms before you, the one who right now is as dazzling white beyond anything you've ever seen. This. This right here is my beloved son. This is your partner for the journey of life. You'll never go alone if you partner with him. This is the comfort for the presence in your brokenness. This is the rescue from your being lost. This divine presence is the one who will pull you in when you're drift. This man is the one 
who can say to you, be not afraid of breathing your last, for you have an eternity with me. This is me here with you. This is my beloved son. And the second word I think that all of us should underline in this text is the word listen. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Because his words are trustworthy and true. There's one command here that, that says, listen to him. I have to tell you, in my family life, in my, in my life with my relationship, in my life of, with Teresa, in my life with my kids, when they ask this question, Dad, are you listening to me? <laughs> it doesn't always come out well for Mike. <laughs> Were you talking? <laughs> what? <laughs> Give me the remote. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But the one command in the scriptures, listen to him. Who is this man? This is the one we're supposed to listen to. We're supposed to listen to his counsels, to his directions, to his instructions for service. And the question is, are you listening to him? Is your focus on him pure? Is it, do you have complete fidelity? To listening to him. Does your life look like you really follow and trust God to be God? Does your life really look like, I, I just, that's an inflective question. Does your life really look like you follow? I mean, you know, like in your getting up today, does it look like you follow God? Does it look like you trust God to be God? In your, in your getting ready to come here, in your going to work tomorrow, in your sitting down at lunch, in your getting ready for the week to come, does it really look like you follow God and you trust God to be God? Does it? I mean, remember I only came by to tell you three words today, Jesus is Lord. So the question is, is he for your life? Do you want him to be for your life? See, in Corinthians it says this, and this is very important for us to happen. What, what, what Keith read a few moments ago in that brief scripture that he read, there's this sign, sentence in there that says, good news separates people. That makes us aghast. <gasps> no, we want everyone to be one. God doesn't. Unless. Unless. You let Jesus be Lord of your life. God wants us all as one, but he also says in his very word, those who remain in the darkness, remain in the darkness because they refuse to believe Jesus is Lord. Those who live in the light, you know, song we sang a few moments ago, have trusted God to be God. Over the last, uh, since, since this year started, some of you have been um, partnering with me and many in the church on the U version of the Bible. A lot of you have uh, doing the studies. Um, the, and and there's a lot of ways to study the Bible. version is just something I wanted to use to really partner with, with all of you. You can get on your iPod, your computer, your, your phone if you don't have one. Um, I, I apologize for that because not everybody's on there. But it's been fun to watch people that have started a little bit later coming along. And a lot of you are friending me, which is great because then I get to see your activity. You get to see mine. But this past week, in five days, in five days in a row, we, we studied a prayer called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Now, before St. Patrick became famous for shamrocks and green beer, he was famous as Patrick the Barbarian who went into Ireland and won millions of souls to Christ. 
And one of the tools that he gave was what's known as St. Patrick's breastplate. So I'm going to ask you to read aloud St. Patrick's breastplate, slide by slide, and ask yourself, does this describe my life? So let's take a look at the first piece of it. Let's read this together. As I rise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. Now let's look at that. And the question is, of course, am I trusting God to be God? Am I really allowing God to be my pilot? Let's take a look at the next one and read with me. May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, and the word of God speak to me. Again, the question, am I trusting God to be God like that? Let's take a look at the next one. May the hand of God protect me. The way of God lie before me. The shield of God defend me. The host of God save me. All these verses say so much. And they're always asking you the question, is Jesus Lord? Am I trusting God to be God? Am I trusting Jesus as my Lord? Let's look at the next one. May the shield, may Christ shield me today. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Am I trusting God to be God? Or am I getting to you? Am I starting to bug you yet? Because I'm trying real hard to get across the message that Jesus is Lord. Let's take a look at the next one. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ to my right. Christ to my left. What's left? Above, below, right, left. There's nothing left, right? Are you trusting Christ to be Christ? Are you trusting God to be God there? Let's take a look at the next one. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit. Christ when I stand. I mean, we could add Christ when I power walk. Christ when I ride my bike. Christ is God being trusted in your life to be God. Let's look at the last one. Christ is the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ is the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ is the eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Do you understand that this means that others see in you Jesus is Lord? That, that's what that's about. Is that where we're going? Are you trusting God to be God? What would your life look like? I mean, you're coming in, you're going out, your you're real everyday life. What would it look like if you trusted God completely to be God? Of course, before you get there, you have to ask your question, is do you want it to look like that? I mean, that's what all these Bible studies are about. Do you want it to look like that? See, the Transfiguration's mountain call is this. Trust the one to which there's no mystery. Trust the one to which there's no means. We have answers, and he is the question. Life is often a mystery for us, but there's no puzzle for us because our God is faithful. He's unafraid of incongruity because he's the God of design and order. He's unflinching when we cower in fear. He's unrattled when our anxiety is high because he is God, and we're not. And that's all I came by to tell you about today. Jesus is Lord from mountain to mountain, from cup to cross. And he's going to make his case. 
And his case is simply this. Trust in me because there's no one else like me. There's none like me. For I am Lord. I encourage you. I admonish you. I actually plead with you. Let Jesus be Lord of the life. Let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And I got to tell you, things will be well. Things will be very well with your soul.